0: Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We chat about overlooked films and TV and pitch original stories we'd like to see. Today we're discussing the films that have been lingering on our watch list for far too long. We'll be airing some movie grievances, pitching an original film, and wrapping it all up with a few things on our cinematic radar. Pull the chair, baby.
1: All have those movie tropes, themes, big ideas that as soon as we see the trailer, our eyes like roll into the back of our heads, and it's like, Oh, here we go again oh with this boy. shit. Ew. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's like you can keep for the first few frames, and you're like, Uh oh, you can tell in the music, you can dump yeah, the man. Like,
0: it's like, Okay, sorry, here oh. it comes. That's, a, That's another mini gripe. Sorry, we don't have time for that.
1: Okay. <laughs> so yeah, give me like what is your current well your current movie grievance okay what, what would you like to air here is the airing of the movie grievances
0: this is one that I didn't really think about until my partner James mentioned it the other day um because I think we had this topic and I was like hey James what's your movie grievance your gripe yeah and he was like and then as soon as he said it I was like oh my god now I hate it and I'm gonna see it everywhere now okay <laughs> So, it's that trope or subgenre of a person in their twenties um, or thirties visiting home or like moving back home. So dealing with awkwardly with their parents, rummaging around their house, yeah. sleeping in their old bed, and like their feet are like too big oh, for it's the a you twin know, bed, over the bed. And it's got like oh,
1: airplanes.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is the one especially. And then when they deal, uh, they see their old towny friends. Or oh, their old girlfriend, the old crush. and then here's like a perfect encapsulation of that interaction. Like, so that girl, that old townie girlfriend's like, I can't believe you thought you could just show up here after all this time, and and I'd forgive you for that thing you did. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, yeah. where'd you go? Like, after which tends
1: to be like, this person went to college out of state. That's yeah, I guess and their, we were yeah. gonna
0: we were gonna go and do this thing together. We were gonna go to New York yeah. or something that interaction with the the friend is like the one that i really can't stand mm. but yeah pretty much just okay so here's some examples in okay. case you're like wait what, yeah what give me a give you, me some you, yeah i have some juicy examples here sharp objects that the mm. uh, series that was just on hbo or something mm-hmm. it's like i kind of liked it until i didn't until it was just like too sweaty and ugh. anyways um <laughs> too sweaty that's it was another. <laughs> just too sweaty like yeah. just sweating booze anyways mm. um colossal that Anne Hathaway... It's, like, a sci-fi movie, but, like, she, like, moves back home. It's, like, where oh, she's, right, like, and the, then she controls the... That thing. Korean monster thing. That, yeah. Yeah. The... Oh, yeah. Young Adult. Oh, the Young Shirley Adult is a good Theron, example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, this one that's not very famous, but I saw on Hulu. Uh, it's from last year called Most Likely to Murder. It's got, like, Adam Pally... Um, and it doesn't matter. Anyways, it's that exact genre. Um, Sweet Home Alabama, Garden State, ugh. Oh, Um, yeah. Gross Point Blank, which I wanted to like that so much, and I watched it kind of recently and I was like, that's not good, sorry. Um, there's a Netflix movie called Other People, that has like Molly Shannon. So the ones that I will accept are You Can Count on Me, the 2000 movie uh, with Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney, that one's actually okay. Um, Is that the siblings one? Yeah. And so that was actually, and there's not enough like brother-sister friendship movies in my opinion. Well,
1: speaking of friendship, I think, so I thought about this. I clearly have a lot of movie grievances, as you well know, but one of my big ones is the unlikely friendship. Especially in a forced cross-racial or cross-cultural or, like, a
0: cross-ages way. Just a real Finding Forrester yeah, situation. Yeah,
1: okay, so Finding <laughs> Forrester, yeah. driving Miss Daisy. Ugh. So we got a Jaren's thing going yeah. oh, on here. No. Um, the Help, Green Book, probably didn't see it because <gasps> didn't I see it, won't see shall it. not. Nope. I shall not see a Farrelly movie. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Sounds awful. You know, and then with Cross Ages, As Good As It Gets, Lost in Translation, that kind mm. of, like... I mean, basically, it boils down to this journey of, like, self-discovery and betterment for whoever the most privileged person in the movie is. Like, Mm -hmm. there's usually... And let's be honest. There's always one, like, straight white person. Like, there's gotta... They're the stand-in for the audience. It's like a sort of... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whoever that happens to be. And... They might be helping their like the more marginalized of person of the pair figure mm-hmm. something out in their life, or they might have some sort of social justice struggle, mm-hmm. like see like the help or something. Yeah, but in the end, like they really like don't do that much besides grow as a person while getting a good old-fashioned, like, attaboy, pat Ooh, on the back for, yeah. like, being, like, a like a now-better person yeah. or kind of, like, this white sort of, like, savior role. <laughs> yeah. So basically the whole thing is, like, them being on the receiving end of enlightenment from their new friend. And, like, there's always going to be some, like, misunderstanding at one point where, like, oh. it seems like they're too different for it to yeah. ever work out. And, like, maybe they, yeah. like, lose each other for a while. Mm. But then there's, like, a come-to-Jesus moment <gasps> And before you know it, they're just playing heart and soul together in <laughs> the piano as the credits roll. <laughs> And luckily, those films, like, in the trailer, it's extremely obvious mm-hmm, that that's yeah. what's going on. They set it up that way to begin with, and it is, it's for moms. Like, it's for, yeah. like, white moms to enjoy. And yeah. I should be clear, like, white moms. Like, yeah. everyone else
0: is like, no, this nope. looks like
1: trash. No, no one thanks. wants to see it. It's just for, like, white upper-middle-class moms to
0: be like, this was such a great yeah, movie. I did such a great thing. I went to see this with my gal pals. Oh,
1: God, I can't tell have you have when you seen I- The Blind Side? Oh. oh. When, when I worked in a movie theater and we were showing The Help, I cannot tell you how many, like, 50 to 60-year-old women, like, stopped and were like, have you seen this movie? It's, like, the best movie I've ever seen. And I was like, I want to drive forks through my
0: eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to place this knife on the counter and just slide <laughs> my, my temple right into <laughs> it. Right in it. <laughs> Is there anything like that that I would, like, that it's okay? I'm trying to, I don't know. I I didn't can't. come up with any It's not worth thinking about really. It's not worth
1: pondering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, write us, let us know if you <laughs> want to make like really
0: miss something. That was like the unlikely
1: friendship of your dreams. <laughs>
0: So today we're talking about movies that have been lingering in our watch list for far too long. You know the ones. like, I was thinking back in the old days when it was like a Netflix DVD queue, oh, yeah. and you had your top. Like I would have like three at a time. Yeah, it would be the one that was always like, oh, it's like number four, but then it drops down. But then down, it drops up back, up back to 10, And it keeps you keep rotating yeah. it out. But you're like, but it's important. Or maybe you get it in the mail and you it have, have it for sits two weeks on the coffee table, and it sits for and you're weeks. like, I just gotta send this back. I'm yeah. not gonna watch this. Um, so it's that kind of thing in mind of like, all right, let's get... So it's not really like the criterion important movies. Some of this is just like personal, like, okay, I've been wanting to see this. Let me just, let me just fucking see it. Get Should, around to
1: it movies. Yeah. yeah. Get, finally
0: getting around to it. Um, okay. So my first one is Rumble Fish. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, 1983. Um, based on the S.E. Hinton book um, it was a sequel to The Outsiders which also Coppola did and I think he kind of filmed them at the same time Mm -hmm. and like this one was sort of like hate to say like on the sly but I don't think people were clamoring like the studios weren't like yeah make it It Right. he was just like I'm just gonna make it oh yeah one thing I was gonna say is that like in this list I've got two black and white films Mm -hmm. and several uh, unintentional Dennis Hopper connections so you'll just get to see that peppered in throughout actually into the um, I think into the radar section okay so it's uh, Matt Dillon he plays a character called Rusty James. They, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they say Rusty James way too much. So many oh, that's times. another micro uh, like grievance I could get into, where so like where the characters say the uh, lead's name or some character's name way too much. Anyway, so Rusty James is a teenage thug on the mean streets of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, um, who's constantly uh, looking to get into a rumble uh, with his best buds, baby Nicholas Cage. And, oh. and and good old Lawrence Fishburne. I feel like we mentioned him <laughs> oh, every other <yeah>. episode. <laughs> he's just <laughs> friend of the show. <laughs> um because he wants so basically he's always looking to um, get into fights because he wants to be like his brother, literally just called the motorcycle boy. Like that is his older brother's like name. They never say any other name. Yeah. And, and it's not like motorcycle boy, it's the motorcycle boy. But sure. you seem
1: to be like the overnamed protagonist and then that his own sibling is just like unnamed. Yeah,
0: like I just go by this this whole thing here okay so um, um so the motorcycle boy is played by a uh, beautiful like young mickey rourke before his face began to look oh, like that's something hard that you imagine to, like pre-wax free pre- charcuterie plate faced <laughs> no. or whatever you know he just looks like a pound of like meat just pounded <laughs> into um yeah so i mean young mickey rourke is just mwah anyway so but also so motorcycle boy comes into the picture later and he actually seems kind of over that whole like street tough life and Mm. so he's kind of gotten a little i don't know if zen is the word but he's kind of over it he's red zen in the art of motorcycle man he's he's, like like, a new level exactly and then get beautiful baby diane lane oh my god who is 18 at the time i believe but looks like a beautiful like sassy like 36 year old and i mean that in like the best way like as far as like her Her hair and her whole like confidence anyway so it's just weird (laughs) like she's in a good way yeah i mean i was like but she's 18 jesus 80s films like the styling just
1: makes everyone look (sighs) so much older oh anyway
0: so she plays his uh rusty james put upon girlfriend um there's lots of other cameos tom waits has a cameo and dennis hopper is rusty james and motorcycle boy's dad just kind of like burnout dad Um, Seems appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. It was shot in just gorgeous black and white with this sort of like highly stylized realism. So it's actually, I mean, it's very real. Like the streets are like, you know, where they, um, what's it called? Watered them down. I don't know. So it's like there's lots of steam and like, you know, like like the shimmer from the streets. It's just, it's all pretty much all shot at night. And the cinematographer uh, Stephen H. Burham also shot uh, The Bride, which is uh, something I mentioned ah. last, I think it was last time, or one of times on my radar from 1985. So just another connection there. Um, so this was actually really poorly received upon release. And you know I love a maligned yeah, film or true. like a minor, quote-unquote minor work from a major director. All anyway, right, how about you? So my
1: list, I pretty much chose movies by directors whose work I'm already... Pretty damn familiar with, but mm-hmm. these are just films that have like lingered on my list for quite a while. Like mm-hmm. just the one, you know, the ones that That's are three pretty well known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so my first one is Lady Vengeance from 2006. Ooh. It's the third installment in Park Chan Wook's uh, Vengeance trilogy. So we've talked about him quite a bit on previous mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, it was preceded by Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Old Boy. And Old Boy is the only one of the three that I'd seen before this. Uh, mm. so Lee Young-ae plays uh, Lee Gumja, ja who has been in prison for over a decade for the murder of this young boy which is a crime she did not commit mm. and as soon as she's released uh, she sets out to enact a plot of vengeance against the man who put her there and who was responsible for her losing her daughter mm. and he's played by Choi Min-sik who starred in Old Boy mm. so there's a lot of his regulars yeah. in here
0: um, so the film sequences, oh, wait have you seen this? Uh, it's been a while, though, so um, okay. I remember certain things like charms being on cell phones this the first time I'd seen yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, they really love charms and cell phones. <laughs> I don't know why. That's, That's what really I remember. <laughs> it's <a> true. <laughs> uh,
1: so it's pretty a-chronological in terms of the sequencing and the scenes kind of slowly reveal a more and more complex portrait of the protagonist. So in prison she's known as both the witch and like this angel. Mm -hmm. And you come to see that all the women that she enlists in her vengeance plot owe some loyalty to her from how she assisted them in some way in prison. Sometimes, yeah, quite a brutal means. (laughs) And you do have to kind of adjust to the storytelling style of the film, I Mm -hmm. feel like. It's like a little bit of a choppy ride. Mm -hmm but it's a thrilling ride. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, I mean, it is pretty viscerally disturbing, which should not be surprising if you've Mm. seen Old (laughs) Boy. (laughs) Um, But I actually think this film makes better use of the violence and like the dread that gets built up than Old Boy does. And I do feel like a fatal error that a lot of thriller action movies starring women make is mm-hmm. that they want too much for the protagonist to be understood too quickly like they want her to be totally sympathetic like right at the mm-hmm. outset so yeah. they kind of rush to justify her actions as this woman who's doing all this killing and ass kicking but they they want to make it like she's but she's this angel and like here's how she's been wronged mm-hmm. and I think in Lady Vengeance you're definitely rooting for her and her origin story is sympathetic but her canniness and her like willingness to use people specifically Um, other women to get what she needs it Mm. sort of undercuts the idea of her as like this too perfect protagonist so i really like that Mm -hmm. i think it's just a lot more interesting and lee young eye truly pulls off red eyeshadow like nobody's business mm, i I shall not attempt
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so next so next okay this is one this is a little obscure in that like i mean there's some movies that are like obscure in the sense of like but then, like real cinephiles know about it, and yeah. this one really is like I guess I don't even know if anyone knows about this film. Um, but this is just one of those. It's very personal. It was on my. I think this might have been one of my first movies I added to my Netflix queue, Ooh. and also my movie. I don't know. That's like my, my jam. Is is I think it's called Mubi. M U B I. I don't know. Maybe it's pronounced another way. Um, this came out in two thousand seven. It's called. Okay, it's called Phantom Love by the director Nina Minkus. So again, like 2007 was that sweet spot. I was just starting all the Netflix Ooh, yeah. queue and everything like that. So I somehow found this, and I haven't really heard much about her films. But I was able to find it on the abandoned amusement park that is fandor.com. <laughs> I, there's, I still have an account on there and it let me watch it. So wow. I was like, okay, so hey, get it while you can if you're a yeah. member or whatever. Um, so it's on there. I'm, I'm, I might have seen it on, on a canopy as well. I can't yeah. remember. So it's uh, like a surreal black and white film um, with not so much a plot as like a series of repeated scenes. Um, of a young woman's life she works at a casino she has ho-hum sex with her boyfriend she watches i don't know if it's like meant to be the iraq war i don't know when this is filmed but some it looks like some sort of war-torn country Mm -hmm. she's watching on the news she visits her sister who's experienced some sort of physical and psychological trauma and there's a few scenes intermittently where she files her nails like way too aggressively like Uh she has like um Like acrylics, and she's like filing like crazy. And I had to put on mute because I was like, nope. So the sound actually, the sound mix
1: actually has it. Yeah, it's like
0: kind of a little heavy in the foliar. I didn't realize it was so sensitive to foliar until kind of recently. And I have, we've kind of discussed this, um, but I kind of have this like, I don't know if you call it a phobia, but this irritation of like really dry sounds. Like, or like the feel of like, I don't want to get into it too much, but like the feel of like dry wood and like, I don't know. So I think that equates somehow to, like, yeah. nails being filed. Yeah. I'm like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I literally had to, like, put that on mute. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, other than that, um, it's a little rem- uh, reminiscent of Chantelle Ackerman's um, Jeune Delmont. And there's, mm. like, way more to the title. But yeah. Jeune Delmont, whereas it, like, it shows a repetition of daily events of a woman's, like, domestic life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, obviously, it's not as good as Jeune Delmont because that movie is basically perfect. But, yeah, I would say, like, some of the highlights for me were the scenes of her just, like, working the casino. So you just kind of get her – I don't know if it was, like – I can't remember if it was, like, the craps table roulette maybe or something. Yeah. But just, like, you know, you see the people there. It's just kind of a mood kind of piece. And then these repeated shots of her, uh, like, walking down a hallway to her, like, apartment. I'm not sure if she works, like – if it's a hotel casino, if she lives in the hotel. But she's walking down what looks like a hotel hallway or her apartment hallway. And she's wearing, like, a cocktail dress. And there's like a python, I don't know snakes, but I don't know if it's like a python or like a boa constrictor. It's like a big old snake (laughs) slithering down the hallway and she has to kind of like pause and kind of like step over it. It's just sort of like a long... Went uh, like one take, kind of shot mm-hmm. of just her walking down and kind of dealing with a snake. So maybe a little heavy-handed on the Eve and Ooh, Satan. I don't know yeah, if that's like the symbolism. Like, yeah, if that's what it's temptation. For. but it's still sexy. I just yeah. kind of like Ooh, a sexy snake, you know. Anyways, so it sometimes it kind of feels like a self-parody of like an independent <laughs> art house film. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, like she's yeah. on the phone to her mother, and it's like. Yes. I'll come visit. Or what? I don't know. She's just saying these really stilted, like, line readings. Yeah. There's not a lot of dialogue in it. Okay. Um, and it's, like, pretty brief. I think it's under 90 minutes. But I think it works as, like, a mood piece. Yeah. Um, If you just kind of want some kind of sexy, uh, good cinematography in the background. I don't know. Like, it's one of those if you're just in the mood for it. And I happen to, like, have been in the mood for it. Like, when I was watching it, I was like, I'm feeling this. Yeah. And I'm glad I finally watched it. It's, like, again, it's personal. I don't know if I would, like, recommend it. Like, but I would not stop you from watching it, if that makes it any sense. It was worth finally It was watching. worth, like, like, just, it wasn't, like, a huge disappointment by any means. But yeah. it also wasn't like, oh, my God, I've really found something here. It was just like, yeah, that was good. You know. And now you can cross and now it now off seen cross it. Satisfying. Um satisfying. And I think she made, like, other films. Like, she was, a, uh, like, Nina Minkus was, like, apparently she made films in, the, like, I mean, the 80s. Like, she, she made, like, a lot of, I think another one about a woman who worked at a casino. So I was like, did she work at a casino at one point? Because this comes <laughs> yeah. up a lot. Maybe right. But you know. <laughs> maybe, or maybe it's easy to get, like, rights to, like, you know, uh, film, film in, in casino. casinos. Maybe.
1: Cool. Well, how about you? Got another one? So Did my you?
0: next one, uh, I
1: was really loitered on my list for very long, <laughs> has loitered on my list for a very long time, Husbands, 1970, Ooh. written, directed by John Cassavetes. He also stars along with Peter Falk Yay! and Ben Cazara. Um, they are three, this is, you'll hear, once you hear this, you're like, this is why Meg has it took her so long to watch this. Uh, they're three middle class straight white men from the New York suburbs who are shocked and, like, thrown into chaos by the death of their close friend. Mm. And they go on a days-long bender that takes them to London. So, trying oh. to grapple with and escape death and the essential <laughs> meaninglessness and hollowness of their lives. No. So... It is one of his most critically divisive films. So that's really saying something for him. Yeah. And I mean, I can see why cuz it's a real shaggy dog of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh there's almost no discipline in terms of editing. A lot of the scenes are improvised, they mm-hmm. drag on aimlessly, and the characters are truly unsympathetic yeah. pieces of shit. Which
0: is his deal. Yeah, his yeah. jam.
1: And on the other hand, the camera work is incredible. The sound mix is pretty genius. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember but like it's deeply like off-putting and it's really like and abrasive mm. and it emphasizes like really weird bits of everyday dialogue and mm. just like sounds of everyday life mm-hmm. um, it kind of matches the way that these men relate to each other and like brush up against the world and like assert themselves against the world mm-hmm. and there's also this really interesting tension I think between the charisma and the charm and the camaraderie among the three actors on the one hand mm-hmm. and then like the disgusting racist misogynist yeah. disordered characters they
0: play mm-hmm.
1: And I think that tension really touches on the crux of why I can't throw away the film entirely Mm -hmm. Um, because you see these men who really the love that they have for one another is possibly the only real thing they have in their Mm -hmm. lives and it's the thing that keeps them going and they're just kind of tormented by the trap that they live in that's been dictated by their gender and social Mm -hmm. class and race. And like thinking it through, I was like, okay, these guys are about 40 and, you know, 69 70s so they were born in the 30s they were adolescents during world war ii and they came of age during this time of like this hyper focus on the nuclear family mm-hmm. and this really narrow focus um this narrow vision of masculinity yeah. where men are like these strong silent providers and they were too old like, these guys are too old really and they were already pretty much trapped in the straight world by the time in the 60s when people started mm-hmm. questioning those dynamics yeah. you get a job in the city you get married You get a house in the suburbs with two to three kids and two cars and all the consumer goods you could desire, Mm -hmm. and you're just glad for your evening glass of scotch... And playing (laughs) golf with the boys on Sunday. For your wife to shut up so you can go in the den and get drunk
0: by yourself. (laughs) Like, literally. And
1: it fucking kills you. Yeah. I mean, literally in the case of their friend who dies. Yeah, yeah. But also in this kind of existential way. Because you can really, I mean, it's pretty visceral. Like, I do think the actors, they really convey that, like, desperation and misery. And the abuse that they commit against others is really part of, like, that death dance, I feel like. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, they are like, just to be clear, they are far from empathetic characters. Yeah. But it is a great exercise in demonstrating, like, the patriarchy truly hurts everyone, even these men Even in themselves, power. yeah, honestly. Yeah. They're monsters, but they're not happy monsters. Like, they're yeah. miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that's valuable to see, regardless of the creator's intent. So yeah. it is this really interesting artifact. Yeah. I think it's worth watching because... Mm-hmm that is a thread that is so
0: strong in our society well um something that i've probably said before and i will definitely say again about directors that might make me sound like an apologist for a lot of these like kind of white straight male stories is like showing is not condoning that's yeah what I, something that I, I heard that somewhere along the lines somewhere um and i was just like oh that's actually a genius way to say it. like because i mean that's just true of any art form it's like just because you show something doesn't mean like i completely agree with this character it's like yeah. obviously it's a way to show this like these fatal flaws and yeah. what's happening now in society. So I think that completely goes along with all, of, pretty much all of Casavetti's work is like right. he's yeah. just showing these very flawed people. Yeah, and I don't think he. If, i mean i don't know the man but uh so i'm assuming that like he he knew what he was doing yeah and he was showing how flawed they were so yeah for yeah. sure he may have related a little more to the yeah. characters and they have seen it in him himself
1: as like here are for my sure, worst self instincts. yeah yeah, yeah
0: exactly but
1: i i would definitely recommend it i um i'm glad i finally watched it mm. <laughs> even though i was like oh god yeah i mean i'm sure it's like a
0: little rough i mean any movie from Ooh. i mean really before this year or even in this year yeah, I totally. mean, hell, you know. oh yeah
1: and like content warning i mean there's like a a, a domestic violence kind of like a um, sexual assault like uh scenarios that are uh, dynamic wise very mm-hmm. uncomfortable
0: yeah well that will segue very nicely as far as <laughs> that goes into my uh my pick um out of the blue so uh it's 1980 uh, directed by dennis hopper so again, Dennis Hopper, I don't know, it's, I swear this is accidental, all these connections. Yeah. And there's still, I think, one more to come. Anyway, okay. mix all of the female-centric punk movies that I love, that I've mentioned before, like, uh, mm-hmm. Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, like, stuff like that, mm-hmm. with all the 19, like, as you said, 1970s American New Wave uh, films about disillusionment, so basically everything that came after, or was inspired by Easy Rider, mm-hmm. also Dennis Hopper. Um, so mix those together, and then you've got Out of the Blue, which I believe the title... I can't remember what it was going to be. Maybe it just was going to be the title, like, the name of the character. But um, because Neil Young's song, uh, what's it called? Hey, hey, my, 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 hey, hey, whatever. Like, I am. No, well, anyway, there's a, there's a Neil Young a, song no, 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 that yeah. is, like, the theme of the movie. And uh, one of the, the lyrics is, like, um, out of the blue, uh, into the black or something. I don't know. I'm sure I'm misquoting it. But he was, like, as soon as he heard that song, it was, like, part of the soundtrack. He's, like, it's going to be called Out of the Blue now. Uh, gotcha. It's going to be called something else. I can't remember now look it up (laughs) anyway um so it's about a teenager named cb which i'm like it's like cb radio kind of thing and maybe cbgb because she's in a punk stuff Mm. okay uh i think her girl named cindy and they say that a few times but she's cb to me yeah um so a teenager named cb played to perfection by linda mance who was um the young supporting actor and narrator of terrence malick's Days of Heaven. I don't know if you oh. remember that. She's like the kid with the, the sort of scrappy. She yeah. sounds like Steve from Sex City the City. she like, just like this, like cute, gravelly New York accent. Thing? <laughs> I will not do my Steve impression. Well, that truly Steve. torments Joel. Hey, Marisa, you're the one. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> she's that basically. So okay, seriously, so imagine Steve as a little girl. That's well. That's a whole other thing. Is that she? Like this is like the opposite of the Diane Lane thing yeah. that I have from fish where she in real life is eighteen, but yeah. she, instead of looking thirty-six yeah. or whatever, she you know Diane Lane, like she looks like twelve. Like it's <laughs> so it's like crazy. Anyway, <laughs> I don't well, know. punk makeup makes girls look really I mean, young. Honestly, from what not, I recall, uh, yeah. yeah, just she looks real young. Okay. Okay. Anyways. Okay, so CB loves Elvis. She has, like, a jean jacket. She wears, basically, like, a t- Canadian tuxedo of just, like, de- all denim all the time. It's so cute. And she has, like, a jean jacket that's like, says Elvis on the back of it. And she, like, loves Elvis. And, Wait, but she's into punk music? But, and she's into punk. So, I, I mean, I could kind of see a crossover there. That kind of, like, whole, like, leather. I mean, and, like, not in the real world. Sorry. That's yeah, like no, another I I, mean, we'll get I, into get, it later. I get it, but... Also, there has to be like a through line of like a Tom of Finland like leather daddy, kind of like a leather I I don't know. Leather. I, for some reason leather is like the thing that like connects all of like aesthetic. You're like I love I have very leather. specific ideas. I mean, I, it kind of makes sense in a way to me. Okay. Um anyway, but she loves Elvis and she loves punk music. And she, uh, she's basically just trying to cope with her, like, junkie mother and her father, played by Dennis Hopper, who is, like, in the movie, like, in the middle of the movie, he's, like, getting released from jail for, and this is in the opening scene, drunkenly running his big rig into a school bus filled with children. And I'm like, so obviously, I mean, it shows it, like, and I'm like, oh, he had to have killed... I don't know, 25 kids yeah. or something? He's in jail for five years. So I don't know how that works I out. I don't know. Honestly, as an it's, Unsolved Mysteries fan, I can tell you <laughs> when men committed crimes in like, like 70s whoops. or 80s, they're like, oh, he was really, he murdered this person. Yep, two oh, years. Whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, oh, yeah. who cares? It's, it's crazy. So. <laughs> His couple dozen kids that are yeah. dead. Okay. So, um... And also that wrecked Big Rig is, like, in the in their yard. And so she'll, like, get on the, again, the CB radio. <laughs> the radio. And she'll just be like, disco sucks, punk rules, <laughs> Did it kill all hippies. I don't know. She'll just say all this nonsense. Yeah, it's pretty okay. cute, though. Um, okay. So basically the whole movie is, like, she rebels. She runs away to the big city, which I think is, like, an unnamed, like, Vancouver, BC, which I think okay. is where it's filmed. Um, she goes to a punk show uh she experiments with her punk look like she does like like uh dark red lipstick gel back hair leather jacket so you know you're all having like fun and games with her whole punk thing but then there's like this trauma that's on the peripheries that you can't quite put your finger on like the whole time you're like something's up and all sort of comes to a head in this like devastating um third act like the final scene you're like it kind of for a second i was like wait this kind of seems out of nowhere but then when you like, think about other things in the movies, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this actually adds up. And the subtext mm. was there the whole time, and you didn't really see it, like, why she's rebelling. Um, and again, I, I feel like we're getting, we kind of famously, we were like, wait, maybe we're giving too, yeah. <laughs> way too much in yeah. all of our, like, here's everything that happened in the movie. <laughs> yeah, so just, we'll try to hold back yeah, totally. on, uh, on that. Separate from this, I have, like, a theory about any movie that's from kind of, like, the 70s era. I know this is 1980, but it was probably filmed in, like, the late yeah. 70s. Okay, here's my theory. That all 1970s movies of this ilk, of that kind of, like, disillusion sort of thing... They have to have a marching band and/or like a parade. There has to be like John oh. Philip Sousa music playing. If you once you know okay. this, I swear. Like if you see other 70s films, I I bet like most of them are gonna have a marching band mm. or a parade. Do you That's think all. it's another kind of like American Yeah, of like this
1: puncturing of
0: that mm-hmm. idea we were just talking about with husbands of like mm-hmm. this idyllic. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it has to do with like, if you're trying to, if you're like a uh, indie movie, low budge, and if you like, hey, there's going to be a parade today, it's <laughs> it free. You get brutal. like crowd shots, you get like shots of like old men and women, like just kind of like, clueless, with, like <laughs> yeah. giant glasses, and, and like like kids with balloons yeah, or something. Totally. Anyway. So part of me is like, maybe it's like there's a practical reason, but yeah. other parts of me are just like, maybe it's just because like, oh, it's kind of like broken, nostalgic yeah, American ideal idea or something. Sort of, yeah. Know so okay all this leading into how now i'm absolutely obsessed with um linda mance and she had a very uh, brief filmography and so i looked up some other films that she was in so 1979 uh film boardwalk with ruth gordon and like lee strasberg which like isn't he oh, like a famous actor the acting, yeah the teacher, studio, yeah, exactly. yeah, um wherein Mance's character's name is listed as girl satan i'm like <laughs> what's going on there i'm very curious um, there's also a foosball movie called Long Shot. Sorry, uh, foosball? Foosball. Not football, oh, wow. foosball. Um, co-starring pop star Leif Garrett. So, ooh, that hunk. Yeah, um, and yeah then haircut. Okay, and this is like the deepest of cuts in that. Okay, 1983 German film titled a really super German title that apparently translates roughly to I'm Satisfied, I Get Out. And I'm like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> hey. Anyway, it's I'm not even going to say the German title, but it's like, I'm Satisfied, I get out, so I cannot find any information about this film, like really even a synopsis. And I've only found two very intriguing film posters online, so I'm assuming it's like super out of print, yeah, um, lost probably or something. But it's from '83. It's like how can it be totally? It's not like well, from we'll the check. We'll check the library Silk Road and see if we can get a region. We, two, I huh? love. To, <laughs> anyway, so now I'm just completely obsessed with her. She was also had like a brief cameo in Gummo which I ugh, Ooh, I don't want to talk about. The movie no. makes me absolutely no, sick. No. Anyway, so, but she, yeah, she kind of seems like she didn't really act after that, hmm. and I don't know, I just love her, like, gender fluidity, and her whole, like, vibe in every movie I've seen her in, so, I don't know, yeah. Linda Mann's, my- hey, baby. Hey, Linda Mann, <laughs> man.
1: <Man-man. laughs> <laughs> so my last one is Afterlife, from 1998, directed by Hirokazu Koreeda, hmm. whose work we've discussed before on the podcast. He most recently directed Shoplifters, which... Oh, yeah. Got, like maybe made the hugest splash in the U.S. of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wrote, directed, and edited this one. That's pretty common for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mentioned that I had been watching some sentimental Japanese films recently, mm-hmm. and my friend Jay suggested this one to me, which reminded me that it had been on my list for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, like you said, like Netflix DVD days yeah. <laughs> um, as a fan of his other movies. Uh, so the premise of this film is that So after death, people spend a week in this kind of, like, hybrid social services building slash train station uh, where they have to choose one cherished memory from their life to spend with for all of eternity. Oh, jeez. And so they're assisted by the staff who are there who help them identify the memories and then, like, pin down details in order to recreate them as short films. And then those (gasps) short films are, like, the memories they move on with. So oh, that's okay. how they're taken with people into, kind of, like,
0: the afterlife. Kind of sounds like heaven to me. As <laughs> <laughs> is like, this is Instantly, actually... It's like, to be even purgatory or whatever? Like, yeah, you take, we pick one
1: movie, I one mean, memory, and it becomes yeah. a movie. Yeah. So uh, in the film, basically as a viewer, you spend a week with the new crop of the recently deceased. And some of the staff, in particular, two members of the staff who are working on some particularly difficult cases mm-hmm. of the recently deceased. So the nature of who the staff are and why they're there is revealed over the course of the film. Um, it's an interesting follow-up to create his 1996 documentary, Without Memory, which is about a man with short-term memory loss that was caused by medical malpractice. Oh,
0: God. Um,
1: and then he has, like, his, some of his later films, like Still Walking, that's also concerned with, like, how memories make up our sense of self. Mm-hmm. So memory is, like, an uh, ongoing theme, I think, in a lot mm-hmm. of his films. Uh, so it's just this really loving meditation also on – film as a medium for self-fashioning and like self-perception so the staff work with these like film and video archives of people's memories like in this film like there will be like recordings but they're like oh this isn't an exact replica it's not like a scene from your life that you play it's like it's still like a little bit off like it's a little slightly different than maybe the memory as the person remembers it but they're like oh use this as a guide as you watch this like videotape of your Mm -hmm. memories um and then they of course painstakingly recreate the chosen memories pretty much like filmmakers. Like they improvise on the sets and they transform like the memory and the senses into film. So it'll be like, okay, this guy has this memory on a tram on a hot day and the cool breeze on his face. Like, how do we recreate that like in this film with this actor? So they have actors play the people in these memories they take I on.
0: Love this. Yeah, it is oh such a large movie. Board. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: Interpretations so, of
0: stuff and like
1: memories. Okay. Yeah. So on the face it does sound like if I were just, just pitching this film, it <laughs> sounds entirely too whimsical and life affirming for the likes of me, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. And I do
0: think if it were American or British production oh. I would have found it insufferable. <gasps> that is a side note. Sorry, I do have a theory where there'll be like so many European movies where I'm like, if this were American, I would hate it. And yeah. there are American movies where, like, if this were British I'd, or like, I'm European, I would probably be all over it. Yeah, oh, like, exactly. Sorry. That's a side note. No, but it's of, like the yeah. way
1: we handle certain themes mm-hmm. is just like, we just don't have that. Like, I need cultural a lexicon of language
0: or something. Okay, yeah, so. and I
1: think also sometimes it is a cultural lexicon of mm-hmm. certain things, you know, like, um, because I've noticed this with a lot of Japanese films, like things that may be a little bit more about like yourself and memories and nostalgia is not quite so tinged. And, you know, we do have Mm -hmm. the Hallmark effect even in big, even in like indie movies here, you know, Mm -hmm, where things are just like a little too much of the swelling strings and stuff. Um, So this is not, like, I really think that it handles sentiment really beautifully. Mm -hmm. And there's this kind of like mid 20th century realism and a very low key sort of dry humor that marks a lot of his work. And I think that diffuses some of The resistance that i may have had to the plot and the premise and i do think watching it you do start to reflect on the memories that define how you conceive of yourself and your Mm. relationships and how and for me like how my relationship to movies you know defines my own memories so Mm -hmm. highly recommended and this is one i'm like i can't believe it was loitering for so long on my list Mm -hmm. yeah All right, it's time for us to generate another pitch. (laughs) So uh, if you're just joining us, this is a game that we play where we each bring two elements for an unknown film. Uh, Neither of us know what the other one is bringing, and we pitch a movie on the spot. And so Lars is leading this
0: time. Take it away. All right. Okay, strap in because this is like a real... <laughs> okay. My file is pretty thick on this one. It's, <laughs> like, a, it's like a fully formed idea. Okay. Oliver Winchester um, is a manufacturer and marketer of the famous Winchester rifle. He dies in 1880. His son, William, inherits the company and the fortune. William dies of tuberculosis just four months after his father died. So thus, all the like the company, the fortune, whatever, goes to uh, Sarah Lockwood Winchester, who's his wife. Um, so the story features it centers around Sarah. Okay, I'm thinking maybe like Jennifer Connelly for this role, just because mm. I would love to see like Jennifer Connelly hasn't really had like a real good juicy role yeah. by herself. I mean, she's been in some other things like Noah and whatever. I don't know, in the last few years, but I just want her to like, I don't know, be this, like the centerpiece of a film. Okay, so um so back to Sarah okay so very again I'm still still not really even into the story yet okay and this is like featured in like a lot of podcasts you can probably easily look this up and people will explain so Sarah okay after her husband's death Sarah inherits um more than at the time 20 million dollars modern day money half a billion dollars okay so imagine just be like your husband dies you inherit the family business you own half of it And also it's important to know that just before her husband died, her infant daughter died of an illness known as marasmus, which is a children's wasting disease. Just they daughter wasted away. That sounds like a very 19th century. Yeah, exactly. Frankly. So everyone in her life has basically died at this point, and she's, uh, like, multimillionaire. So uh, she came to believe that her family and fortune were haunted by the spirits of the people who'd been killed by the Winchester Rifle which is the, the company she inherited. So she visits a, a psychic or medium or whatever, popular at the time. Um, so she wanted to channel her late husband and seek some sort of solace for her depression because of, you know, she's, again, feeling she's haunted by this, this death um, because of her company. So allegedly, the psychic advised her to leave her home in New Haven, Connecticut and travel west where she must build a home for herself and it's unclear if she intended to build a home to like assuage the spirits or i think more like to confuse them like yeah well, not a new haven anymore now i'm uh, in california mm-hmm. so in 1884 she purchases uh, an unfinished farmhouse in california and over the course of the next almost 40 years she builds what eventually becomes a seven-story mansion so she didn't use an architect uh, just a series of builders working almost endlessly for decades <laughs> who kept continuously adding on to the building in this like haphazard fashion tearing things down rebuilding them over and over again maybe to confuse the spirits I, I couldn't really quite figure that out if it was like kind of to appease them to anyways I think it's more to confuse them it's like oh this door isn't a door it leads nowhere this staircase isn't a staircase it leads nowhere because of this like these numerous oddities and there's also yeah so again like staircases leading nowhere windows overlooking other rooms In total, there were 161 rooms, including 40 bedrooms, two ballrooms, three elevators. One went horizontal. Horizontal. Sorry, I'm trying to imagine that. Anyways. And only one working toilet and a lot of decoy toilets. I never thought I'd say the word decoy toilet toilet in my life. Anyway. (laughs) um, And she also slept in a different room each night. So after her death in 1922, at the age of 81, the house was sold at auction and soon became like this like popular tourist attraction so all that to say i think that would make a great kind of like a horror movie but i mean like horror in like that kind of like slow cinema horror movie just kind of a general creepy vibe of her in this space that keeps like shifting and changing mm-hmm. and you could show like the passage of time and the house itself i hate to say like it's a character in the movie but it is you know it, it maybe really utilizes space um i don't know if like the ghosts if i i think there definitely like should be Probably ghosts in it, but I don't know if they should be like real or if it should be kind of in our head. And let me make it clear right now this is not a shutter island situation no, i don't yeah. want her like i don't want to be like is she going nuts and like that's like the jennifer connelly trap you know what i mean I, <laughs> She's I, always I, that's another mini nuts. gripe yeah. i don't want a woman being like, She's yeah. hysterical like yeah. i don't care about that i think i'd like to just see her just almost like trying to solve a problem and these ghosts like maybe they're on like the peripheries like they're just out of the out of uh the frame and they're i don't know i mean so i see there's like horror but like maybe not in that sort of like traditional like uh you know scare sort of way but just and just like a creepy mood piece so okay the title so usually we've been like lately we've been doing like here's a like, crazy kooky title i found along the way but then i was like i couldn't help myself i was like what's like a realistic title I was, like, something to do with like guns and like this house or something so i was thinking like okay i'm pretty proud of myself for this ballistic because that's like ballistics is like gun <laughs> stuff is. and it's like going a little crazy so maybe crazy. it's not really right for this piece but like but I was just—I just had to say that out loud. Um, I don't know, maybe something like. One in the chamber. <laughs> the chamber, <laughs> the chamber. I don't, I don't know. Cool. Sorry, I've got a lot of kooky titles. You've got a lot of um. They're very Columbo-y yeah, episode exactly. titles. Yeah. So sorry, I don't really have, like a great title. I was just more proud of myself that I thought of some that worked with like rooms and like women and maybe going a little I'm crazy. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. No, there isn't a movie about the Winchester okay, Mystery there House because it's a really famous house. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Side note, there is a movie. Actually, after I would like gotten deep into this, yeah. I realized that there's a movie that came out last year uh, with Helen Mirren um called winchester but it was really poorly received so i feel like there's still, yeah, room. There's still room for us to make a really great film because it's still like a
1: huge tourist attraction i think oh, they okay. actually had a thing where you could you could stay there overnight like they oh, had some shit. special yeah like so I, i'm yeah i'm surprised so, oh, I ha- only having one one movie, movie made is yeah. like actually it's kind of pretty crazy. surprising yeah
0: and it looked like pretty like straight up horror it looked pretty bad i mean yeah. I, I didn't see the trailer or anything yeah. but because i didn't want to be influenced by it but um this five-minute preamble to go into <laughs> how are you going to throw rich into this <laughs> so perfectly planned out it's <laughs> i know i'm like well i'm about to Uh-oh. change the tone of your movie Uh-oh. maybe or
1: maybe maybe
0: it's what i need maybe
1: know? they just it needs a little levity because mm-hmm. jennifer connelly can be a little too serious yeah those
0: eyebrows are like furrowing. like yeah.
1: really a little too mm-hmm. intense so yeah. um my actor okay. is <laughs> primarily a comedian. Oh, okay. so, but hey, okay. they can be some of the best actors, yeah. honestly. So okay. actually, that's true. I find
0: a lot that of comedians because they are such theory, great observers yes, of life. They don't care about looking silly yeah. or ugly. They just, yeah. you know, so, disappear into the role. Okay, sorry. And this person
1: does act. So Aparna Nancherla is one of my favorite oh, yeah. Yeah, comedy Ooh. to acting transitions. Mm-hmm. So she is a hilarious stand-up. She's one of my favorite social media follows. Like, oh, yeah. she's great on Instagram. Yeah, but she also does act. I mean, she's in she's in corporate, which is not a show that I like. But she is primarily in comedic roles. I do think she could do see drama it. really I can well. See it, honestly, um, her in like
0: a bonnet. It's like the eighteen hundreds. She's in a bonnet. Yeah, I, I can know.
1: see her as like um, a comp- like a lady companion friend. <gasps> oh, totally. who's like she Jeez. comes from you know she comes from back east and she's like staying mm-hmm. with her in this yeah. house and she's, she's like, oh, like, uh, uh, bitch, she's this house is crazy. Like, she's <laughs> like, so there could be some funny like comedic scenes or. She's yeah, yeah. like, this toilet doesn't work.
0: <laughs> like <laughs> found out too late. Why well, is there like a, a full like two-way mirror looking at <laughs> yeah. this other ballroom exactly. or whatever? <laughs> Why does this elevator go horizontal? Yeah. Maybe she's a bit of a standard for the viewer. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So or she could be like a, a ghost. Or like, oh, you think maybe she's like the... Oh, maybe you don't know if she's a ghost she's or a if ghost she's or, actually yeah, a friend. And, she, and you kind of like, you keep going back and forth. Ooh, yeah. yeah, that okay. would actually
1: be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And then, so my... Uh, element was (laughs) it doesn't have to be a detective scene but an interview scene at a table with an overhead lamp
0: so especially if there's a murder mystery or i mean you know or maybe just like the guns are killing people
1: or yeah it could be like oh someone heard some noises like some you know the authorities have to come investigate Mm -hmm. or something you know yeah um there could be it could be like that great because i do like that with the interview scene right where it's like close Mm -hmm. up on one face and you know there's like maybe something even questions from off screen and it's yeah. like zoom it's like focused on yeah um, i
0: do love a good interrogation scene yeah again yeah. With that, like that lamp that's yeah. just like swinging so it, oh. to, it could be like in her own living room and maybe yeah. they're lit by oil lamps and you know maybe mm-hmm. yeah, like there's an local... oil lamp <laughs> <lip> swing <laughs> <laughs> and the house burns yeah. down the end. yeah <laughs> i think this could be really good yeah. i mean it's hard to like figure out the tone but we're not the directors so we'll just hire no. someone they'll figure that out yeah mm-hmm. we're just in the writer's room here yeah, exactly <laughs> Meg. Meg. (laughs) I keep saying your name like they do in movies. (laughs) Just to make sure you know which character I am on this radio play. Oh, my God. Um, What's on your cinematic radar? Okay,
1: so I have one recently watched recommendation and one want to watch next. Super quick. Uh, Although this film wasn't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a not recommendation, but it's like the best thing I've seen in months. So, Happy Hour is a 2015 film by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. It is a Japanese film. I'll just come out and say it. It is five (laughs) hours long. Oh,
0: shit. (laughs) But (laughs) she went there. Yeah, (laughs) I went
1: there. Can't sugarcoat it. This is it. Give it to you straight. Yeah. Um, But when it ends, I mean, you legitimately are going to be left wanting more. Like, you cannot believe it's Mm. ending there. And in the U.S., you can watch it on Amazon, and they do break it up into three installments, like very abruptly, like it just like fades to black. Yeah. But it does give you a chance to give yourself some intermissions, like get up, stretch your legs, like <laughs> have some yums. Uh, I loved this movie, okay. and. You know, I don't really need to overexplain it. It centers in the lives of four friends in their late thirties. Like, wait, do I like it? It's about four friends in their thirties. Anyway, um, it follows this interconnected sequence of events after one of them reveals she's going through divorce proceedings, and just like how their relationships and their family dynamics and their friendship all kind of intertwine related to that. It's probably the most gorgeous and stunning piece of realism that I've seen in recent memory. I really can't recommend it enough if you're okay with slow cinema. Mm -hmm. As in like there's a scene where they're at this workshop with this artist and you're pretty much experiencing the workshop in real time with them. So Mm -hmm. just know that going Mm -hmm. in. But you've really, I mean, I think you'll really love it. Want to watch Mm -hmm. next? Yeah. Uh, the Second Mother is a 2015 Brazilian film directed by Ana Muijlerd. Muijlerd, you know, I don't know it's how Google. to pronounce it's her fine. name. Yeah, yeah. Just fine. we'll put it, we'll drop hey. it in the episode notes so yeah. you can find that. So it centers on a woman who's worked for years as a housekeeper for this upper crust São Paulo family, and then her estranged daughter shows up out of the blue and just upsets like the whole household dynamic and the pretty stratified um social cast dynamics of the family when she shows up so it looks it's a bit of a comedy drama but um it looks great it was recommended as uh if you had some problems with roma like that this would be um, a good alternate film so i'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to checking that out it's on amazon prime
0: right now so yeah pretty available what about you Well, a couple of things I have recently watched. I watched two fantasy noir movies. I was like, is that a genre? It is now. Okay. Okay. I'll just probably be really brief because I have a few points here. Okay. Trouble in Mind, 1985 by Alan Rudolph, who was like in Robert Altman's Inner Circle. Mm -hmm. Um, So Alan Rudolph's actually made like a lot of films I like. Remember My Name, The Moderns, um, and Choose Me. So, okay. So the cover was Chris Christopherson in a fedora and a trench coat. Uh, but I was pissed, pissed offerson (laughs) when I realized that he's not a detective, which I thought, I assumed from the cover, but it's just like, it's just like a bunch of wacky problematic nonsense. Lori Singer of Footloose is in it and just a side note, she she looks identical to Daryl Hannah. Like, if I didn't know it was Lori Singer, if I didn't know it was another actress, I would have been 100% this is Daryl Hannah. That's all. That's really my, like, headline for that. It's kind of like this weird, you would think, okay, film noir mixed with, like, stylized 80s weirdness would be my fucking jam and normally it is but it's like the kind of weirdness where I'm like people like the director just gave them like carte blanche to do their own thing and I'm like I'm sorry don't give actors carte blanche to do their own style no 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 (laughs) No, no, because they were doing like lipstick along their hairlines and shit what? like like think exactly exactly <laughs> I was like I was so I got like a physical headache I was like Ooh. don't make me watch this no anyway, I was like real no. rap boy scenario <laughs> oh boy anyway and um I don't know if you know Keith Carradine this like 70s actor yeah it's like and I, I'm fine with him I mean he's, I've kind of realized he's actually not a good actor but anyway oh, well. but I like you know certain actors they're not like a good actor but you're like oh, you know okay yeah. I'm on board for your whole thing I it down yeah okay so he's like Moves to the big city and he goes from like this cute kind of like, not like country bumpkin, but just kind of normal guy or whatever to like he keeps being more and more stylized and his hair Mm. gets bigger (gasps) and bigger and he gets more like makeup, but not in like a fun way. I would be so into him doing drag or whatever. No, it's like a tragedy. (laughs) Anyway, his hair gets so much bigger and his makeup gets ridiculous. The director kept just... Like, No one told him that. It's like no. they always made the wrong choice. He just kept making yeah. like choices like, I can do no wrong. And people kept being like, yes, keep mm. going with it. Like, they kept yes anding him instead yeah. of being like, fuck knowing him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the other one was Cast a Deadly Spell, which we watched together with yeah. my uh, heartthrob, Fred Ward. Which was just, like, a fun goof. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was, it was really kind of fun, fun to watch
1: with, like, a bunch of friends. Yeah, exactly. Which is what we did.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, and the other uh, Dennis Hopper connection is there's a sequel to that, which apparently I didn't know I'd seen until I started watching yeah. that movie. There's a sequel to that called Witch Hunt, directed by Paul Schrader. Um, anyway, with Dennis Hopper, he describes that film shoot as one of the weirdest of, like, the, one of the weirdest movies he's ever been in. And if Dennis Hopper is telling you it's I mean, fucking weird, then you know it's weird. So, hey, something that I want to see. Just today, I was like going down the rabbit hole and I found this. I can't remember how I came upon it, but this 1992 TV movie called Sketch Artist. Um, Here's the synopsis. Uh, A police sketch artist helps a witness recall who she saw leaving the scene of a, of a murder and discovers that the suspect looks just like his wife. Mm. Not willing to believe that she was responsible, he tweaks the picture to give himself more time to investigate huh. the murder. That's I was so unethical. Like, holy shit. I know, right? <laughs> um, it stars Jeff Fahey as a sketch artist, uh, Sean Young, and Drew Barrymore. Wow So I, I saw the trailer and I'm like, hell yes. I'm gonna like check that out. i <laughs> like that era of Drew Barrymore movies Ooh, it's gonna be yeah. a real okay. weird ride. Yeah, so it, <laughs> I mean, it's a TV movie, which I'm like, it's yeah. like HBO, it's like ABC. I Ooh, have no idea. I didn't look to that hear at back. Yeah. So it looks like a blast. I want to check that out.
1: Well, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, you can rate us and you can subscribe to keep up with us. And certainly feel free to send us your own movie grievances or if you have a counterpoint to either of our uh, gripes please do let us know I'm always open to re-investigating (laughs) it's an ongoing investigation for us Um, you can send us an email at storyboardpod at gmail via instagram at storyboardpodcast via twitter at storyboard underscore pod Um, all of the links of everything we mention are in those episode notes so Look them up. (laughs) Till next time.